Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. So I'm very passionate about worship. Um, just to kind of share a little bit of my background so we have some context of what this morning is going to look like. I, I grew up, I was born and raised in California. Any Californians in the house? Okay, yeah. If you had my perspective, as soon as I said, any Californians in the house, a lot of people went like this. <laughs> just nodding their head in disapproval. Um, salvation is for the Californians as well. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, I grew up in California. I actually grew up in a Christian home. Grew up going to a Calvary Chapel in California. And so um, one, of, uh, one of my goals every Sunday, one of the things that I loved to do as a young person uh, on Sunday mornings was to make my parents late to church. It was my goal every Wednesday or every, every weekend, every Sunday. And the reason for that was because I did not want to be at church when people were singing. I didn't want to be in there because it was weird. It was kind of awkward, kind of corny. The word, like the song, like it was the, it was the early 90s. So you know that, what that kind of music sounded like, right? Um, and so I just, I, I made it a point every Sunday to make my family late because I didn't want to be a part of that time. I didn't mind sitting in there hearing a Bible study. And it amazes me that God would then put me on a path uh, to then be a worship leader. Um, I grew up in a family that was very musical. Um, my parents sang. My older sister played multiple instruments. Um, my younger brothers played instruments. And I did none of those things. Um, it wasn't until I gave my life to the Lord where I started to gain an appreciation for music and to learn that I had a voice that I could use to sing. Um, it really wasn't until I gave my life to the Lord that these things started to happen in my life. And so if that resonates with you, maybe this morning, that, that's, you, didn't, you don't want to be here. And um, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, because the Lord wants to do something in your heart this morning. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe this doesn't apply to anybody because you're already here, but maybe you're surprised that we're not still in the time of singing, right? Because I think some people tend to not be here early enough to get away from the time of singing, whether it's preference or whether it's you lack a true heart to worship the Lord, Worship isn't the appetizer before the main course of the Bible study. Worship is a part of the main course. And so we have to change the way we look at what worship really looks like, right? There's great conversations about preferences and opinions when it comes to worship. But my hope and my desire is that we come to a place this morning where we understand why we worship and we understand how to worship the Lord. Worship isn't only about music. Again, I didn't have any sort of musical ability when I, when I first gave my life to the Lord. And so the Lord really taught me that it wasn't about the things that I could do, 
but it was about what God was doing in my heart, right? Worship isn't only about music. It's not only about a time that's set in church for Christians to sing together. Um, it's not, you know, just a time where it's usually before teaching. We switched things up this morning so we can have an extended time of singing together after the message as we respond to God's word today. And so for this service, our worship time isn't an early exit for you to be able to get to your car before anybody else does, right? You see, worship is about my heart. It's about your heart. It's about how God has changed your heart. See, God is greater than my circumstances. He's greater than the season of life that I'm in. He's greater than my emotions. He's greater than the world that I live in. He's even greater than my heart, my own heart, right? The Bible tells us that even if our hearts condemn us, he is greater than our hearts. So what is worship? Well, worship, if you're taking notes, worship is our response to his worship. Worship is a response to God's worship. You see, he doesn't change if I don't worship. He doesn't become greater because I worship him. He is great, and so I worship him. He is awesome, and so my heart responds to praise him and to worship him. God doesn't change if we don't worship him. He doesn't rely on my singing to make him greater or to, to feel powerful, to feel um, important. God is important. He created the world. He created you. And so our response is to his worthiness. That's what worship is. We worship, we sing, we live our lives out in worship because God is worthy. See, the more that I worship the Lord, the more I realize that it's not necessarily for God, although God is enthroned in the praises of his people. I realize the more that I worship that worship is for me. Worship is for me to be able to commune with God, to respond to God, for him to reveal himself to me. I benefit, you benefit from your time, I benefit from my time of worship with the Lord because worship changes us. I change in my time of worship. I can come to the Lord even if I don't want to, even if I come with hesitancy and I can come to a place where I worship, I surrender how I'm feeling at the time and my perspective begins to change because I start to see who God is. We see this great picture in Isaiah chapter six. The prophet Isaiah, the first five verses, it's all about Israel. Woe to you, Israel. God has this against you. Woe to you, Israel, you're not doing this. We get to chapter six. And Isaiah has this encounter with the Lord. He says he sees angels and cherubim and seraphim. The train of God's robe fills the temple with glory, right? He sees the, the very presence of God in this place. And his response isn't, woe to you, Israel. He says, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's not just about them. They don't need, they, they're not the only ones that need a response to the Lord. I need a response to the Lord. And so worship changes us. 
You see, instead of being a culture or a generation of church critics, God is calling us to actively engage in worship. Now, we can have opinions and we can have preferences, but are those preferences and opinions hindering us from truly engaging with God's presence, with God's goodness? Worship is for us. We get to change in his presence. And so it takes humility. It takes surrender. It takes a mindset of sacrifice, right? A sacrifice of praise. So often, I, I don't know how many times I can tell you that I can be driving here on a Sunday morning and I, I, if I can be honest, I don't necessarily want to be here. I don't necessarily want to worship the Lord. There's, there might be things going on in my own heart, my own life. And yet when we begin to, as a worship team, prepare, as we practice and as we rehearse, as we take that time for ourselves to worship the Lord, that's when my heart begins to change. So I can be in a place not only where I'm receiving from the Lord, but then I can also be a part of leading the congregation. Because you might come into this same room and not want to be here and maybe have the wrong attitude. Maybe there's some heavy things going on in your lives and the Lord wants to encounter you in worship to change your heart and your perspective. I'm also reminded of an account in Acts chapter 16. If you know the passage, it's Paul and Silas. They're in prison. They're in prison because they were obedient to what God had called them to do. Right? They're preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. And so they get imprisoned. And we don't see them in prison. Their reaction and their response isn't to fight. It's not to fight the jailers. It's not to fight the other prisoners. They're in prison and they're not causing an uprise. They're not causing any sort of chaos or commotion. They're not, they're not crying out for their freedom. But what do we see them doing? They're imprisoned. They need comfort. They need rest. They need a solution. And they're praying and singing hymns at midnight. And then God meets them there, right? And if you're not familiar with that encounter, Acts 16, you should read it. But not only do they get rest, not only do they they, uh, get freedom, right? Physically, the earth shakes and the door is open in the the jail cell. Not only do they get physical freedom, but, but those around them get spiritual freedom because the Lord uses that time to save the jailer, to save the jailer's family. So this is what worship does. We have this perspective of worship in times of difficulty, in times of distress. And so let's read John chapter four. We see here, therefore, verse one, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he, he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, 
near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And when the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In, you, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what, uh, what uh, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the salvation, uh, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth truth. So God is seeking true worshipers. God is seeking those who would worship in spirit and in truth. We're in an important time in history as the church. We see a lot of darkness. We see a lot of difficulties. But God has called us to be his remnant and his representation. So I believe it's important for us to be established in the things that are eternal and to let God handle things that are of the temporary, right? What things are eternal? Well, we're going to worship the Lord in heaven. We're going to be surrounded by his throne. And so I think it's good practice for us to learn what it looks like to worship him. There has to be an intentionality in worship. God is seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth and in, in a little bit, we're going to take a look at what that looks like. What does it mean to worship in spirit and what it means to worship in truth? But we need to gain the, true, the characteristics of true worshipers. There has to be intentionality. See, there's going to be a time, I believe, in this country where um, physical Bibles may be illegal. It's possible. It can happen. It happens in other countries, Right? But you know what can't be taken away? God's word hidden in my heart, right? In a very real way, we saw last year that there was a building taken away from the church, right? But you know what can't be taken away? 
a heart's desire to pursue the Lord, to worship him in any circumstance, in any place. So we need to establish ourselves in these eternal things because things can happen physically but we have no real control over. But we have to have a resolve to be established in the things that no man can take away from us. True religious freedom is God-given, not man-given. A government can fail and fall. But God has established his word. He's established his spirit in the church. He's established worship and community and, uh, and communion with him. So being established in those things is really important for us. If we're training, if we're discipling, if we're setting the example for those around us and those generations behind us, we're training them as to what it looks like to honor the Lord, to live for him, to worship. So we have to set that example. What worship looks like is, is set, the example is set by us today here. Right? And so let's look at what characteristics of true worshipers look like. Let's continue on in, in John chapter 4. Verse 25 says this, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I speak to you, uh, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. So one of the first characteristics that we see when true worship happens is that worship leads to evangelism. This woman has this encounter with Jesus. She calls him first a man, and then a prophet, and as she begins to continue this encounter with Jesus, she realizes that he's Messiah. And as she realizes that this Messiah knows everything about her, wants to give her living water, her next response is to go tell others so that those would come to Jesus and know about him. Worship leads to evangelism. If we are true worshipers, and if we draw close to the Lord, we will know his heart. And his heart is and always will be for the lost. This room is filled with people who were lost but are now found. And how are you found? Because God found you. God's heart is always for evangelism. And if we are true worshipers, we come to this place where we understand God's heart for the lost. You see here in this passage, a whole generation of Samaritans, they're changed, forever changed, because of this one encounter from this woman. Generations changed because of an encounter with Jesus. Now how is this today, the generation today, how is this generation being changed by our lives in this room? Do you have a heart for the lost? Do you have a heart for those that are far away from God? If you don't, I would encourage you, draw close to the Lord and understand his heart. One of the things that we see here as well is that Jesus, said, it says in this account that he needed to go through Samaria. 
right? This wasn't the path that the Jews took. But he needed to go because he understood that there was someone that he needed to have an encounter with. Because of this encounter, lives are changed. There's a generation that is looking to us today. They're alive today. They're looking for the example of what it looks like to truly be a true worshiper, what it looks like to honor the Lord, to worship him, to respect him, what it looks like to be surrendered to the Lord. This generation needs our wisdom. They need to understand the difficulties that we've gone through. They need to be strengthened by those that are older than them. We have to be a generation that shares these things. And so I'm sure if I, if I asked you this question, and if I said, have you been through hardships? You, everyone would say yes, right? We've all been through hardships. We all have something to impart to a generation that they just, there's things that gen, the generations coming after us, they just don't really understand or know anything about. Like, do you guys remember these things? You guys remember these things? Compact discs. Remember you used to have to go to a store, a specific store, to buy these things? There's a generation today that has no idea what this thing is, right? A compact disc, a CD, right? Or what about this? Let's look at this picture. You guys remember these things right here? Man, the struggle take up a whole seat in our car, right? To just have CDs available for music in our car. Or the struggle of sitting in your car for like 30 minutes trying to figure out what CD do I wanna put in here so I can listen to music for my drive. There's just a generation that doesn't know anything about it. Well, what about, let's go a little bit back. How about these guys right here? The Sony Walkman. What a great invention. You could walk and listen to music at the same time. How great was that? Or even more, how about this, this frustration right here? You guys remember what this? If you're old enough, it's like, I'm trying to listen to my music, now I gotta find a pencil too, because that's the only way that I can rewind this cassette tape, right? There's a generation out there that just doesn't know anything about these things. What about these? You guys remember these? They're, they're kind of back now, but Disposable cameras. You guys, remember, you guys remember having to wait for your camera film to get developed? You guys remember what that was like? And then when you get them, it's like half of them are overexposed or half of them are blurry. Man, that was, that was a frustrating time in history, right? Um, or remember when you used to get doubles? You, get, you would print out doubles so that you can hand them out to your friends? Um, I'm, am I, am I connected? Is that, you guys remember these? Yeah? What about, um, what about this? What about this frustration? <laughs> the disc man. Remember trying to fit that in your pocket? Or even more frustrating, trying to walk around with that thing. Remember? It's like anti-skip, and then you couldn't even walk with those things. Or how about the original text messages? You guys remember these original text messages? passing notes to your friends on paper using a pencil. Yeah, those, those were the days, weren't they? Um, 
How about, let's see. How about this? Before there ever were CDs. You guys remember these things? Now I'm tracking with the generation in here. You guys remember this thing, these things? Why? Why did we ever have 8-tracks? It's like, why did we ever have laser discs? Remember laser discs? What were 8-tracks for? How about this? You guys remember these things? These beautiful things right here? Look at this. Vinyl. Yeah. It's kind of blurry, but look at, look at this guy. Look at this face. Look at this guy right here. Hello. Oh. Lionel? Is that you? The generations behind us need, they, they need wisdom. They need examples set for them. It's our responsibility to show what that looks like. If you would, turn, turn with me really quick to Judges. I have a couple more examples, but I, I want to read this in Judges real quick. Judges chapter 2. We're going to see in a real way what it looks like when generations don't share what it looks like to honor the Lord, experience God. It says this in Judges chapter 2. Starting at verse 7, so the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath. Um, Timnath Harris, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. When all the generations had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. This is just one generation. From the book of Joshua into the book of Judges. It's just one generation. There's one generation that that knew God, served him, experienced God, and then a generation that didn't know God at all. They didn't experience God. They didn't have the example set before them. It's just one generation. We are one generation away from a generation not knowing who God is because they don't experience him. They don't have examples set before them. We are always just one generation away. And so it's important for us to understand the responsibility and the call that God has for us to disciple, to teach, to be an example of what it really means to live for the Lord. What about, let's, let's, let's do a couple more. What about, do you guys remember having to sit through this? Like, let's listen. So frustrating. There's just a generation that had, didn't have to live through that. Well, what about this thing right here? This is the most frustrating one right here. You guys remember this? When your Internet Explorer would crash? Man, we have, we have gone through so much, right? We have lived through so much. We have so much wisdom, so much knowledge to impart and to live out as an example. My hope and my prayer is that experiencing the Lord and knowing the Lord would never end up on these lists. Of, of things that these generations coming after us would experience or know about. I pray that it would never be said of this generation that the next generation 
is the generation that doesn't know anything about God, that we would continue to be the representation and the remnant of God's goodness, his mercy. We have this calling upon us. These illustrations are funny, but I want to drive home a point. We have a responsibility to teach the generations around us what it looks like to be true worshipers. One generation away from a generation not knowing or experiencing who God is. And so Jesus tells this woman, you, if you want to worship the Lord, a true worshiper must worship in spirit. And so if you're writing notes, the first thing is to be a true worshiper, you need to worship in the spirit. And so how do we do that? Well, we see in John chapter 3, just a chapter before John 4, in chapter 3, says this, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, speaking of Nicodemus, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of, the, of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the very first thing to worship the Lord in spirit, you have to be born of the spirit. You have to be born again. God's great desire for you is not to worship in the flesh, not to just do these outward expressions, but the outward expressions would be an overflow from an inward work that God has done and is doing by his spirit. So we have to be born of the spirit. Romans chapter eight, verse 11 says this, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So to be born of the spirit and then to have the spirit dwell in you, this is what it looks like to worship in spirit. Jesus has given us his spirit the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now is indwelling with each one of us who follow Jesus and committed their life to him. Ephesians verse two, uh, sorry, chapter two, verse one says, you were once dead in sin, but you, he's made alive. You, me, us, we've been made alive. If, we've, if we confess the Lord Jesus Christ, he has made us alive. There is no way to worship God who is spirit if we aren't ourselves born of the Spirit. To worship in spirit also means that you are concerned about spiritual things, the spiritual reality of our lives, not merely outward sacrifices, but this work of God's Spirit in our lives to change us and to renew us. Galatians chapter five, verses 16, 16 through 17, tells us this, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. You gotta be born again of the spirit. We need to be, have the indwelling of the spirit. And to worship the Lord in spirit also means that we're walking in the spirit. That our daily life looks like the spirit of God is moving upon us, changing us, renewing us. Walking in the spirit means that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so not just worshiping in spirit, but also in truth. What does it look like to worship God in truth? Well, 
The deeper our knowledge of God, the deeper our worship is. The more that we understand and know God, the more that we're concerned about what he loves and what he hates, our worship deepens in those things. To worship in truth means that we worship according to what God has said in his word, especially in light of the New Testament revelation. Knowing Jesus, understanding who he is, understanding that he's come to forgive you of all sin, understanding that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, understanding that even in great grief, there can be great joy because God is faithful and at work still. These things help us to worship in truth because they remind us that even though our world is crashing and unraveling around us, God is unmoved. Even if we become faithless, God remains faithful. And God has also given us his spirit, John 16, verse 13. As we're born in the spirit, he gives us this Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And so we don't just worship not knowing, but we worship what, you know, Jesus said it to the woman. We know what we worship. Your understanding of who God is will relate to how deeply your worship life will be. So understanding, knowing God's word, hiding it in your heart so that you might not sin against him. But I also think that it means not just hearing and not just understanding, but living God's truth, living God's word. And so let's turn to James, James chapter one. It says this in James chapter one, verse 22. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So not only understanding, not only knowing, but doing God's truth. So what does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to respond this morning as we've had a, a time of reading God's word. God gives us instruction through his word on what worship looks like. And so if you're able to, and if you would, would you just stand with us? I'm going to call the worship team up. And we're kind of, this will kind of lead us into our time of a little bit of an extended time of singing together. And, you know, you don't have to stand the whole time, but we're, we're, we can start this way. I'm going to give you guys a couple words that we see in God's word, in God's truth, that teaches us what worship looks like. We, why we worship? Because God is worthy of it. And so how do we worship? Well, this is what it looks like. So can we turn the, sorry, can we turn the lights back on? Because I think people are still, if you want to take notes, if you want to write these things down, uh, you can do that. <clears throat> the first word is yada, not yada, right? Yada. 
This means to show reverence or praise with extended hands. And the word pictures associated with the root of this praise is like shooting an arrow or throwing a rock. It's literally throwing praise to the Lord. It's to confess the name of God, to give him thanks. We see this in Psalm 42, verse 5. We also see this at the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. It uses this expression of praise. The Levites blowing the trumpets and calling everyone to worship and the praise of lifting up hands, of expressing their praise to the Lord. We can see it as a small child lifting their hands because they want to be picked up. We can see it as surrender to the Lord as we humble ourselves before him. And so um, if you would, I would just invite you, let's just take a moment, let's lift our hands we not only hear what God's word tells us to do, but we do what God's word tells us to do. So we lift our hands to you, God, and maybe you want to verbalize it, or maybe it's just in your heart, but you can praise the Lord in this moment. God, we, God, I'm so thankful for the life you've given me because you saved me from a life of despair, a life filled with sin, and you changed me. You were worthy of my praise, God, this morning. You are worthy. Yes, God. We worship you today. The second word is like the first word, yada. It's a little bit different. It's toda. It means to show agreement with by extending the right hand. Today's culture, the closest thing that we can see this as is like a handshake. And so we, we agree with God for his promises. We accept the deal that God is giving us, right? And so we extend our right hand. It's also associated with sacrifice, things given as a thanks offering to God. We see this in Psalm 50, verse 23, the thank offering used here to praise God. And so if you would, you can raise your hand, right hand as a sign of agreeing to God's promises, agreeing to what God has told us, agreeing to what God is doing. This is also the Hebrew word for thank you, todah, thank you. And so we can do this as a thanks to God. And we just agree with your will and your purposes, God, as difficult as it might be today for our lives. We wanna say we agree. We agree with what you're doing. The third one is barak, another verb. It's an action word. This type of praise is one that we commonly see around altars. It means to kneel down. It means to bow low as a sign of adoration and reverence. It carries with it the idea of humbling yourself to a place that is lower than the recipient of your worship. And in this case, it's bowing ourselves to the recipient, to God, because he is worthy of our honor and adoration. So if you're able to, and you'd like to, I would encourage you to just bow or kneel before the Lord today as we do what the scripture tells us. We see this in the Psalm that we read earlier today. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker. In that passage, it's a literal way of worshiping God that we come before the Lord, we kneel. We can think of royalty, being in the presence of royalty. 
that the first thing we would do is we would acknowledge the power of the, the presence that we're in. We bow low as a sign of reverence to power. We bow and kneel to outwardly express our awareness of God's greatness. So this is something that I think we, we don't typically practice on our normal service, but I think that as we do the, this awkward, outward act of worship, God does something in our own hearts. It's an uncomfortable thing. It can be an awkward thing. But it's a sign of surrender. And it's a sign of acknowledging how our king is in the room. He's here. And so we'll just take a moment. We, we do this as a sign to you, God, humbling ourselves before you. Acknowledging, God, that we're not greater. God, you deserve this. You're worthy of this. If you'd like to, you can get, you can get up. Our next word here is Tehillah. This is a praise that is demanded by the qualities or deeds or attributes of God. This type of praise is singing, but not just any type of singing. It's the singing that bubbles up from our hearts. It's a spontaneous type of singing. These songs are unrehearsed unprepared they're from our hearts just straight to God and this is in Psalm 22 verse 3 these are the type of praises that God is enthroned or inhabits it's interesting because it's so specific God literally lives in the spontaneous praises of his people when Isaiah talks about trading garments of ashes and mourning for garments of joy and praise, the word praise there literally means spontaneous praises. So these praises are not rehearsed. They're not the words that are on the screens. They're just something that is straight from our heart as an overflow unto the Lord. The next word is the mar. And this literally means to pluck the strings, to celebrate in song and music. It's the most, it's probably the most common form of praise that we have across the world today in our churches. It's singing songs put to music, but it's also just playing an instrument, playing music before the Lord. We see this in Psalm 150. This Psalm illustrates a picture of what instrumental worship looks like. And so, this morning, you didn't walk in, I don't think you did, with a guitar, uh, heaven forbid, a tambourine. But you did come in with instruments. You came in with your voice. You also came in with your hands. These are instruments that we can use to worship the Lord. And, and it is the goal of my life to have this church clap on two and four. Like it's like, it's like, it's almost as if I can hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. If I can, if I can just get you guys to clap on two and four. So we'll have a time where we get to practice this as we, 
have our time of extended worship. The next word is halal. And this one, uh, this one might be fun. It could be uh, a little uncomfortable even. Um, but this form of praise requires one to step outside of dignity for a moment. It means to be foolish or to boast, to shine. This is the kind of praise that David exhibited when he danced for joy at the return of the very presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, to Israel. Sadly, this is also the form of praise that prompted his wife to ridicule David for his lack of dignity. This is also the word that we get the word hallelujah from. It literally means praise the Lord. But even more than that, it means to be foolish or to be expressively foolish unto the Lord. This can include dancing or leaping or twirling before the Lord. But even more accurately, more than the outward expression, it's the state of the heart. Right? All of these expressions are overflows from the heart. We see this. We see this word appear over a hundred times in the Old Testament. We see it in 1 Chronicles 16.4, where there were actual appointed musicians to halal or to be uh, to boast about the Lord, to shine before the Lord, to, to maybe act a little expressively foolish before the Lord. And then our last word is shabak. And this is the loudest form of, of worship and praise. Shabak means to address in a loud tone. It's typically associated with freedom or triumph. But it's more than just a loud shout. It's the idea of putting everything you have into it. It's an attitude of wholehearted praise. And we see this in Psalm 63, verses 3 through 4. We can easily look at this psalm as a soft cry of thirst in a dry place. But the words in these verses literally mean to shout praises. The best comparison that we can have for this is sporting events where people yell and scream with a loud tone as they appreciate whatever team it is that they like. It's especially loud when it's the Dodgers. <laughs> it's, it's actually a, it's kind of a sad statement that venues that appreciate people and teams are louder than churches who are worshiping the true and living God. And so I would say in this room today, with a loud shout, with one voice, we should exercise this to praise the Lord, to give him glory. And so on the count of three, we can just, with a loud voice, we can shout together. We can just say hallelujah. And we can praise the Lord here in this place. So I'll move move my wife, mic away um, so I don't shout too loud. But let's do it together. You guys, you guys ready for that? You guys want to do that? So on the count of three, let's just shout together hallelujah. Ready? One, two, three. So as we enter into a time of, of singing together and worship, a um, couple last things. All these expressions mean nothing 
without a true heart to honor the one who, we, who is deserving of these honors, right? All these outward expressions mean nothing if our hearts aren't changed. And so this morning, maybe you're like the woman at the well. You came here, you didn't know that you're gonna have an encounter with Jesus, and yet you're here today having an encounter with Jesus. Jesus is revealing everything about your life, not to condemn you, but to give you everlasting life, to give you water that will make you not thirst again. Today's the day. Today's the day as there's a really simple part about true worship as well that we can maybe overlook because it's maybe a little too simple for us to understand. But part of worship is just showing up. The location isn't the key, it's our hearts. You see, the woman showed up at a time when it wasn't normal for a woman to get water from the well. It was in the middle of the day. But she went because she didn't wanna be around people who knew what her life looked like. She showed up. She was in sin, she knew others knew it, but she showed up. She showed up in such a way where she wasn't changing. But because Jesus met her when she showed up, there was change. And part of what God wants to do today, as you've showed up here, is he wants to set you free. He's revealing those things in your life that separate you from him. He's revealing those things in your life that are making you like a dry and thirsty land. And he wants to give you living water. And so I wanna give an opportunity today. I wanna share the good news of the gospel, that God would love you so much that he would send his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus took upon himself our sin, our shame, died a excruciating death on a cross to pay the penalties of our sin, your sin, my sin. He was buried, he's put in a tomb, and after three days he rose again, defeating sin and death. That's the good news. But with good news means that there's bad news. The bad news is this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The person sitting next to you, their life has been tainted by sin. The only difference between those that are saved and unsaved is that our hope and our trust is put in Jesus, our Messiah, the one who came to set you free from that sin. That's the only difference. Everyone in this room has struggles, pains, difficulties. And yet we can find ourselves together here showing up to meet with Jesus. James chapter four, verse eight says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so today, if today is the day, the appointment that Jesus has where he wants to meet with you, where you need to surrender your life, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. He's revealing those things in your heart not to condemn you, but to set you free. 
And I want to give you an opportunity to respond because I want you to respond in worship, in spirit, and in truth. And the only way to do that is to first start by being born again of the spirit. And so if that's you, would you just come up? Would you take a bold, courageous step? And would you just come up and we would love to pray with you and encourage you. We want to give you this time as a time to respond. Is there anybody that wants to do that this morning, just to respond? And if you're a believer in this room this morning, you've showed up to this building or you've showed up online, and part of showing up is also the experience of our encounter with Jesus. And so we have this time, again, this time isn't to, to get to your car before anybody else comes out. If you need prayer this morning, pastors and prayer team will be up front. If you want to practice some of these truths, if you want to bow before the Lord, but there's not really space around you, you can feel free to come up as we worship the Lord. But let your heart overflow into expression this morning to the Lord who is worthy of everything that we can give inside of us. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.